Chapter Three of People Like That. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. People Like That by Kate Langley Washer. Chapter Three. Kitty's mother had been dead only a year when Aunt Matilda, who had adopted me several years earlier on the death of my parents, married her father. I was twelve, and Kitty eight when the marriage took place, and with canny care I tried to shield her from the severity of Aunt Matilda's system in rearing a child. I had been reared by it. I owe much to Aunt Matilda. She sent me to good schools, to a good college, took me with her on most of her trips abroad, and at twenty presented me to society, but she never knew me never in the least understood the hunger in my heart for what it was not in her power to give i never told her there was hunger in my heart i rarely told her of anything she could not see for herself in childhood i had learned the fixedness of her ideas the rigidity of her type of mind the relentlessness of her will and that independence on my part survived was due to sturdy stubbornness to a refusal to be dominated and an incapacity for subjection but this too, she failed to understand. That I would not marry as she wished was a grievous blow to her. I had no desire to marry, and it was when refusing to do so that certain realizations came to me sharply, and all the more acutely, because I had so long been seemingly indifferent to them. On the morning following the night in which I had faced frankly undeniable facts, I went to Aunt Matilda's room and told her I could no longer be dependent told her of my purpose to earn my own living. I was strong, healthy, well-educated. There was no reason why I should not do what other women were doing. As I talked, her amazement and indignation deepened into anger, and had I been a child, I would undoubtedly have been punished for my impertinence and audacity in daring to desire to go into the world to earn when there was no necessity for my earning. Socially, a woman could be autocratic, I was told, but in all things else she would be dependent on the stronger sex. But there is no stronger sex person for me to be dependent on, even were I willing to depend, I said, and made efforts to keep back what I must not say to her, but surely would have said to others. For years I had been the recipient of her bounty, the object of her care, and she still thought of me as something to be protected. That I should prefer to work, prefer to take my place in the world of women workers, was beyond her grasp. Mr. Chesmond understood when I married him, it is part of our marriage contract, that you were to have the same advantages as his daughter. He has very willingly given you these. If you no longer care to accept his protection, you can marry. Opportunities such as come to few girls have come to you. A home of your own is yours for the taking. In my day... But this is not your day. I bit my lip. When Aunt Matilda's face got a certain shade of red, and her breath came short and quick, I was uneasy. The doctor had warned us of the seriousness of her condition. She was pitifully afraid of death. It was the only thing she was afraid of, and death might come at any time. To prevent excitement there must be with her no discussion, and, as far as possible, no opposition to her will. Your day and mine are very far apart. I made effort to speak quietly. Women no longer have to be adjuncts to men because they don't know how to be anything else. They can stand up now by themselves. 
conditions have forced them to face life much more face fiddlesticks aunt matilda's hands made an impatient gesture women have no business doing what many of them are doing to-day they are forgetting the place to which they are appointed by their creator but even if you were at liberty to carry out your silly ideas what could you do how could you earn your living you play well paint a little read books that do you no good and hardly enough of the new novels to discuss them all this sociological stuff those scientific things i see in your room are absurd for a woman to bother with men dislike women who think too much and know too much you're well educated and clever enough but what could you do if you were suddenly left without means of support i don't know what i could do it's what i want to find out half of my life has been spent in school and college and during these years i was taught little that would be of practical service in case of need i'd like to use part of my time trying to make educators understand they don't educate for cultural purposes for acquiring knowledge of facts their system may be admirable but for the pursuit of a happy livelihood i stopped aunt matilda was looking at me as if i were suffering from an attack of some kind marriage to her was the divinely arranged destiny for a woman and she had neither patience nor sympathy with my refusal to accept the opportunity that was mine to fulfil the destiny of my sex and at the same time become the wife of the man she had long wished me to marry the power of money was dear to her she understood it well and my failure to appreciate it properly was peculiarly exasperating to her discussion was useless it never got farther than where it started if i said that which i wanted much to say it would merely mean hearing again what i did not want to hear concerning the pursuit of a happy livelihood we were not apt to agree for a half minute longer i hesitated should i make the issue now or wait until there had been time for her to realize i meant what i said before i could speak she did that which i had never seen her do before she burst into tears you must never mention such a thing as this again her words came stumblingly and her usually firm and strong hands trembled badly with my health in its present condition i couldn't get on without you you are all i have to really love and i need you don't you see what you have done you have made me ill ill she was strangely upset and in her eyes was a confused and frightened look that was new to them and quickly i went toward her but she motioned me away give me my medicine and don't you ever speak of such a thing again such a thing as you have just spoken of you have always been beyond my comprehension she swallowed the medicine i brought her in nervous gulps the tears running down her face as they might have done down a child's but she would not let me do anything for her insisting only that she wanted to be quiet seeing it was best to leave her i went to my room and locked the door and for hours i fought the hardest fight of my life the one weapon she knew she could use effectively she had used if she needed me i could not leave her but her complete self-reliance made it difficult to feel that any one was necessary to her i was indignant at the way she had treated me i was not a child to be disposed of and yet of my future she was disposing as though it were a thing that could be tied to a string and untied at will were she well and strong i would take matters in my own hands and make the break surely i could do something i had no earning capacity but other women had made their way and i could make mine if she were perfectly well but she was not well through those first hours and through most of the hours of the night that followed 
the knowledge of the insidious disease that was hers was the high hard wall against which i struck at every turn of thought at every possibility at which i grasped and in the dawn of a new day i knew i must not go away it was not easy to surrender always my two selves are fighting and i wanted much to know more of life than i could know in the costly shelter controlled by custom and convention wherein i lived i had long been looking through stained glass i was restless to get out and see clearly to know all sorts of people all conditions of life and the chance had seemed within my grasp and now it must be given up there are times when i'm heedless of results when i'm daring and audacious and count no cost but that is only where i alone am concerned when it comes to making decisions which affect others i am a coward i lack the courage to have my own way at the expense of someone else and though through the night i protested stormily if inwardly that i was not meant for gilded cages but for contact for encounter i knew i should yield in the end the next day i told her i would not go away she said nothing save she hardly thought i had entirely lost my senses but the thing i am gladdest to remember since her death is the look that came into her eyes when i told her for two years longer i lived with her years for her of practical invalidism and for me of opportunity to do for her what she had never permitted me to do before two weeks after kitty's marriage she died suddenly and at times i still shiver with the cold clamminess that came over me as i stood by her in her last sleep and realized my aloneness in the world my parents had died in my early childhood i had no brothers or sisters no near relatives save an uncle who lived abroad and some cousins here in town mr chesmont was very kind but i could not continue to accept what he had willingly given his wife's adopted child and kitty no longer needed me it is a fearful feeling this sense of belonging to no one of having no one belonging to you lest it overwhelm me i went at once to work upon the house in scarborough square left me by aunt matilda together with an annuity of a thousand dollars already it means much to me for a while at least it is a heaven a shelter a home what it may prove i have been thinking much to-day of aunt matilda perhaps it is because selwyn was here last night she was afraid i would marry him End of chapter three